Good evening, good evening, good evening. We're going to get right into it. It's time for another KG, Fifth Water Wildcat and Doc podcast. Football will dominate this podcast for obvious reasons. The uh, Final Four has been announced. Can I say that regarding college football? Yep. So whatever. It's, it's, it's all under. All well, so, it's not NCAA. NCAA can sue them for this. So, so yeah. So right. it, it's the playoff four. We'll get into that. So, format yeah. Format of four. We'll call it like that. It's the format of four. It's the phony four if you are a, a Baylor or TCU supporter. It's the phony four since they got, quote, unquote, snubbed in their opinion. We're going to start right there with that while we let uh, Wildcat prepare himself to defend his man, Art Bryles, and Art's weak non-conference schedule this year, last year, the next four or five years. Seems like in perpetuity. I'm going to pull it up in a second, listeners. But, gentlemen, how are you? Doing well, doing okay, ready to talk about some college football, give out some programs that's, that's moving down the road and all the postseason play, as I said, bowl games, and then they talk about the fantastic four of the group of five. Somebody was going to get left out. It was just a matter of who. Thank you for that. I'm going to just start right there with an opinion. Why would the quote-unquote power of five agree with a final four, field of four, fantastic four, phony four, fake four, whatever, if it's five power conferences, supposedly, why not just go ahead and say, you know what? We got five power conferences, the winners of those of each conference, plus three at large. We'll just go to eight, have a playoff of eight, and be set with it right there. Instead of risking the opportunity of having one of your supposed brethren left out in the cold, like as in the Big 12 this year. Thoughts? I'll tell you why. It, Go ahead, Doc. Business. And this is the other thing I was talking about. Is you talking about you're going to talk about the bowl side. I'm going to talk about the business side. We also have a HBCU final poll ranking that will come up. Big game uh, with the SWAC championship game. But let's get to the business of the business side of what that took place. And I'll answer your question succinctly. They understand that they are under attack, if you want to use it word, in terms of the lawsuits. And what they did not want to do, this is the dirty secret that people do not want to focus on, is the fact that they did not want to be able to go to uh, in law suit based on the fact that they were doing collusion. So they had to deal with the final four because if they would have did what I said was simple, not even have to go to eight because they didn't want to do that, they could have went to six. First two teams get a bye, three weekends, back at the tournament one weekend. All five teams get in, one at large bid, everybody's happy, makes it work. If Notre Dame is hot, you get all five, power five, I don't care what they want to call itself, they are the power five. They could have the a second SEC team. And they could have the second SEC team, or if somebody is really strong that year, they could have a second team from any conference in this case. They could have even been the Big 12. But the concern they have is if they do that, then under the lawsuit, think about the lawsuit they just had with uh, NLIs with the likeness, the one thing she talked about is like y'all can give a minimum of five, but they cannot collude and say that we're all going to give the same thing because then it becomes obvious that they're working together in such a way that the model mirrors more of the NFL, Major League Baseball, or the NBA for that matter in regards to these Power Five conferences working together. That's why they don't like the term Power Five. Uh, because they do want to do everything they can to show that while we have all the power, we want to act like that we don't really use all the power. 
And so it's simply about what's going on in the business side of the legislative component of what's going on. And that's why they didn't do it. Now it's come, come back and bite them in from the framework that you're going to always have one conference, if not two conferences, that are going to be unhappy. The last thing I will add is I told you that the SEC would only get one team. They were going to cannibalize themselves. I told you earlier that if Ohio State won out and won the Big Ten, they would be in because of brand recognition. Folks, look at the business side of this. Everything that I told you five, six weeks ago has come true. That's why you are the sports professor, and that's why we are proud and honored to have you part of these podcasts. And he is correct on both counts. And I will also add that I told you that if the Big 12 got snubbed from the Final Four, that they will start wondering about what they're going to need to do to get into this mix. That's right. And lo and behold, Bob Bowlesby and the Big 12 reps are meeting in New York this week to discuss what? What we need to do to get a part of this mix. Should it be a championship game? Should it be to add two new members to the conference or whatever to have a championship game? Well, imagine that. They didn't think, and bless his heart, Bob Bowlesby said if they would have told us to have a championship game or the importance of a championship game, where have you been for the last year, sir? Now, <clears throat> Bob Bowlesby has his job because the last commissioner, of the Big 12, couldn't hold the, the, the league together. That's right. Now, two, you had an option when you became commissioner through the NC2A to apply for a waiver. He did. And, they and, wouldn't have got it. But he chose not to even approach the subject. Correct. Now, this morning, thank goodness for Mac Brown still being around, he still, he mentioned two names. That would have given them a shot above anybody else, just like Notre Dame has that, has that, that limelight, just like Ohio, Ohio State has that limelight, Alabama has that limelight, but, and that Texas and Oklahoma had been in that situation, one of them would have got in no because of the name recognition and the, fan, and the fan following, and folks would have wanted to see that game. Now, just like my colleagues have mentioned about Baylor and TCU, Loving Adele, private schools, but your fan base is just, and your brand just not where it needs to be right now. And CDC, yes, I said so. And uh, you've got to do a better job. You know how to work that magic. But right now, you're still sitting behind those two programs in the Big 12. You have, you all, the rest of you all have got to find a way to put your brand out there to where you have co-ops, not just listed in your region, but nationwide. Wow. And my compadre sitting next to me, uh, KG, we have seen other Texas Longhorn co-op stores in other states. That's why you got to get to. Am I wrong, sir? You are correct, sir. And uh, for those who don't know, CDC is Chris Del Conte, one of Wildcat's good buddies. He's the AD at, at TCU. And uh, I think Wildcat is correct. Mr. Del Conte, you need to, you need to improve the brand, the TCU brand. Mr. Browse, you and your folks up in Waco need to improve the brand. Go national. But Doc, do me a favor, sir. Yeah. Look up Baylor's non-conference schedule this year. When you look at, I'll do that. But it as was, we're doing that, looking up their schedule, 
from that because it's not very. Because it was pretty. SMU, Buffalo, and I believe Northwestern State. That's it. Yeah. Not exactly superpowers among those three. And for the next four years, I believe that Baylor is scheduled SMU at least tw- twice out of the next four years. It may look better now in the future since SMU has hired Tad Morris, but until then, the non-conference schedule for Baylor is to be kind, a farce. And Commissioner Bowlesby said he told all the members of the Big 12 you needed to improve and strengthen your non-conference schedule. Some schools have yet to do that. Maybe that'll change now, which leads to another problem, as you have touched on, Doc, in previous podcasts. Strengthening this non-conference schedule is going to affect and impact those FCS schools and phase them out because the Power Five, the Group of Five, the Big Money Five, what have you. High Five. The High Five, the Superior Five, the the Co-Op Five, the Oligarch Five, whatever you want to call them Five, is going to squeeze those lesser schools out, the lower tier schools out in order to strengthen their non-conference schedule. That's right. So that's another factor that's going to happen. Absolutely. So, uh, Wildcat, sir. Can you answer answer a question? I know about Texas history, and I've studied it for a while. I was just trying. I know Texas was independent, its own nation at one time, even for a while was part of the Confederate. But geographically, is Texas in the West, the South, or I thought it was the Southwest. It is, Doc. But Mr. Browles is not under that impression, apparently, because the last couple of days he he was complaining about there's not enough representation on the the committee. Which could have been a good point. Needed some someone from the South to represent, despite, you know, his point is kind of true, but... The Big 12 had a representative on the committee. It's Andrew Luck. Excuse me. Oliver Luck of West Virginia. But Oliver Luck, is he's been down here in Houston. He's part of the Big 12. He knows the area. He, I think he knows the conference landscape. He's he's not Mac Brown, clearly. And Mr. Browse, lo and behold, did suggest someone like Mac Brown, Mr. Brown, be a part of the committee. Imagine that because Mac is the great a great lobbyist. Yes. Uh, for his his school, first and foremost. One of the best, even though he lost one time to Oklahoma in terms of lobbyists. And uh, Mac is a great lobbyist for the Big 12 as well. Yes. So we'll see if, if changes are made to the committee members, etc. He also went from Big 12 being in Texas being in the South to this morning. He's talking about it's in the West. Well, he, I guess he meant this, the Southwest. He, he's just, he's he's still hurt. Oh. By the perceived snub, he did. He did yeah. give some credit. He told them that they need to be happy or get out. And he he did apparently vote Alabama number four in his in the last poll. So yeah, he where did he put Baylor? I, that's a good point, but but I, I'm Three? sure it wasn't. Maybe no, it's meant, uh, you can't vote on your own. Team. You can't. That's right. You can't uh, vote on your own. On the new poll, you can't vote on your own squad. That, uh, and that got changed when they when they started putting sure, all this new new playoff uh, situation. So, but considering that uh, Mr. Browse was getting his directioners and all this t- together, 
Um, like I mentioned, uh, this morning was a lot of commentating about a lot of things. I, cause I knew once they put the four out there, Monday morning was gonna be Monday morning quarterbacking and Monday morning coaching about what should have done, been done, and what didn't get done. Well, folks, it's been done and it's done. You got four teams now. You're looking at them. Before we go to the four teams and I, I, analyze I, I, these four teams, okay. I already talk about expansion. Where? Yeah. The, the, I mean, the, the question. The, the, because you, One, you, you, location, travel, yes, football is what's on. You, I don't think travel really makes that much a difference in terms of the sport of football, but your travel is a huge issue when you start looking at basketball, particularly the non-revenue sports. There you go. That's what I, that, and that's where I was headed. You got to pick the, pick the right school. That's going to make it compatible when you start traveling multiple games a week, like in baseball. And I'm going to tell you this. Yes, I'm listening. I know you like to believe that they're all about the college athlete. Oh, no. They like to use the other term. I refuse to use that anymore. When you look at the college athlete, remember, this is a business. Oh, yeah. It's not about college athlete. It's not about travel. They'll tell you all that. But when it talks about they're looking at markets that are strategic in terms of television, where they can add value in terms of revenue. Last rumor that came out looked at Cincinnati and Memphis. Memphis gives you a relative small television market. Cincinnati obviously is bigger, gives you an East Coast kind of market. It does partner West Virginia. In terms of basketball, that's dynamic, but we know football drives the train. Has Cincinnati and Memphis done enough? When you ask that, the other question I put out there, what about U of H? Have they done enough with the stadium? Now they closing out on the hire. We can talk about the fight that the fighting Levant that you like to talk about. They're going in a different direction. That is phrase again. What school? You got BYU hanging out there. Large segment. The issue you have with them, they don't play games. Yeah, well, on, on Sundays. That, on Sundays. Uh, in terms of the market, they're similar to Notre Dame in terms of a captivated. Right. A whole market, state and a region. Yeah, in a region that you can get. It gets them in a different region in terms of a market. That's one of the ones that they have looked at. So if they're going to go to 12, I think it's impossible they go to 14, even though other teams are doing it. I think it's just too big for the greed right. or the big 12. Yep. What are the two schools that you think about out of those four, or is someone I left out? No, it's not, no one you left out. I still would have kept it regional. Um, I still would approach the schools that are here in the state only just because of what we you mentioned earlier. They're not going to bring in but one team from the state if they uh, if they do that. I still have a question mark about U of H because they don't know. They, it's, it's it's just a, a big question mark as far as the athletic program overall. Nobody knows where they want to go and what they want to do. And are they, you know, are they not satisfied where they are? Which is a huge concern. Saying, the oh yeah, director, because this is the thing that they had to be ready for. They got the stadium in place, right? Working on the gymnasium. Yep. But you questioning in terms of the commitment, right. Of what they laid out to put themselves a resume, yeah, that would together. get them in the picture. And they hadn't done it. Wow. They hadn't done it. I mean, they're moving along at a pace that's comfortable for them. And that's not good, because when you when the landscape is chasing, is moving around like we're seeing it all on a year to year basis, you got to be ready for the next move. So, Houston's out. 
You still want a Texas? Does SMU or Rice have a chance? Um, I think uh, SMU has a better shot than uh than than any other any other the other two between Rice and uh, and U of H. I, um, there's no way I can believe that TCU will allow SMU to get in. There's no and, way. And I see that. Rice obviously is too academic to get out of their own way. Give them credit. I like the fact that they are academic because all the other schools are playing games in terms of the college athletes. That's a different subject because I'm looking at this from a business perspective, but I had to put that out there. I agree with you regarding TCU. TCU, TCU and SMU for years made a point to not be in the same conference. So I, I don't see that changing you know, anytime soon. I could be wrong. Now, as a U of H alum, I'd be thrilled to death if the Big 12 came calling down here and invited the Cougars to join the, the, the conference. But U of H has so many problems supporting themselves, supporting athletics, supporting football, basketball, baseball. They don't – I mean, the Big 12 doesn't need the Houston market. Right. They already have it. They already have it. So, you know, U of H has so much – if U of H 10, 15 years ago would have done the same thing the TCU alums did, yes. had the vision that they did. And that's what you've been screaming for. This would be a, a much better, a much stronger case for U of H to join the Big 12. They haven't done it. And now we're talking about financial problems surrounding the stadium, which is still unfinished overall. Money problems, where the money's coming from. About how to pay, make payments for the stadium and all these things. And now we... we Fired Tony Levine Sunday night. It was announced today. I got to pay him the buyouts of a million dollars. Wondering, apparently they have it because they didn't have it. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't have fired Tony Levine. My thing, I thought that uh, they would have told Tony Levine, you got to fire your whole staff. From a money standpoint, because they couldn't think in this way. They couldn't afford to get rid of Levine. So just say, Levine, you got to get rid of your whole staff, start over. Negotiate about it. No, no. Just say, we'll keep you if you get rid of your whole staff. That's what I thought what would happen because the, of the money, financial problem that U of H is having. But apparently they just said, we got money from somewhere. Which means they're hemorrhaging. So they Levine, had no choice. Yeah. They were going to lose one way or the other. So. Because if they kept Levine, as my buddy Matt Jackson did, and you got to find his blog. He did, he did a post about this. We can talk about this. Matt wrote about this weeks ago in November, I believe, about the money problems and hemorrhaging of UH athletics. And he tweeted about this a few days ago. Could the Cougars afford to bring Levine back because of the indifference of right. the fan support, the fan base that's dwindled during the so season? You, so the point is you're looking at it when we look yeah. at it in terms of the odds is, is yes, it's one or the other. You're losing a million dollars what you got to pay him. But you're saying if you keep him, you might lose 1.5. So the deficit is there one way. You'd rather have a less of a deficit, meaning you'll take the 1.5, hopefully you make the right call. You'll get some of it back by uh, ingratiating your fans to come back to the stadium that you have to sell out in terms of hemorrhaging money of not selling out. So excellent point that he's making. And in the blog post that Matt wrote, he suggested a name that last night and yesterday evening was being kicked around as a possibility in Mike Leach, but today, Monday, Leach has come out saying he has had no contact with U of H. Not sure where the rumors started about him going to U of H. He loves Washington State. He's, which all sounds to a point to a cynic. 
That's what y'all say until before a deal gets done. But personally, I Mike Mike Leach is much more sizzle than steak. He'd be a great flash in the pan high for a year or two, but U of H needs some stability. And they damn sure could not afford if Mike Leach decided to leave after two years to pay him, to buy him out if he comes in on a $2 million per year, per, per year contract and then he's got a five-year deal and a $6 million left on the deal. Like, we can't afford that unless we, we all win the lottery, win the Mega Millions or something, you know. So that's 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 me come, speaking from a U of H alum perspective. I personally don't like the Mike Leach, especially long-term possibility as him as a head coach. It'd be great initially, and I think you would create a buzz for a year or two, but unless he keeps David Gibbs or unless he Mike Leach transforms his mindset and actually cares about defense, the Cougars will just be lighting up the scoreboard on one end and get, giving up the same amount of points on, on the other end. And, that's not going to win you national championship, even conference championship in the long run. On and that's basis. what they have to do. Because point blank, I've said this for years, the U of H hasn't had, has not succeeded in dominating the conference that it's been in. Didn't do it in Conference USA. We all talk about Conference USA is, is a middle-of-the-pack conference. Well, hell, we didn't win the Conference USA enough to dominate that. The American have not, have not dominated that yet. So if you want to be be part of considered big boy football or big boy athletics, win your conference. Like you said, TCU model. And U of H they only went from WAC dominated. Went into the Mount Mountain West before the Conference USA dominated. Mountain West dominated. Yep. Yep. And they just kept stepping up. And it takes the person from the top. Uh, CDC was it, it was a question mark when he came in from Arizona. He comes in a rise. He everybody's. The old hunky door, and then all of a sudden, bam, the light goes on. For the old, the, the old alumni, especially the athletic, out of the athletic department, the folks that hadn't been, you know, they were coming to games, come back for homecoming, but they were just happy, just happy go lucky. Yeah, they making it work. They're making it work. And then he put out a strategic plan. Ran, he said, "I'm, I'm gonna hire. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make this light hire. Gonna turn this, on. And then bam. And basically, Todd, as, 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 as much as Todd had been an assistant coach. Before he got his last head coaching job was at a high school level. Just like with Art, his last head coaching job before he got over to U of H was a high school. Between Dave Maggot and Chris Del Conte, bold guys that were ADs, and I've gotten this from two of my SEC AD buddies, they would tell you point blank, if you can't hire a football coach, the rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of them can be winning championships all over the place. But if your football program is crap, just like UConn, they can't move out of the conference because their football program is horrible. You got to be able to hire a football coach on a consistent basis. That means when you when he gets ready to leave, you, you got to be able to put somebody. You got to be able to put somebody back, right back. You look at Louisville. They yep. always had basketball. Yep. Browning, the great coach for basketball, yep. dominated basketball. Didn't get the call right until they started winning in football, and then all of a sudden, bam! Now everybody wants you, folks. Academics has grown, but it was middle of the pack yep. in terms of being a tier one. Still found a way to get an ACC, which at a time was really about oh yeah academics Maybe. in terms of tier one institutions they were looking at. And and which brings me back to my to your question about the teams to consider 
if the Big 12 decided to expand, I think Cincinnati makes a lot of sense and BYU makes a lot of sense. They could just accept the fact that they're not going to play on Sunday, games on Sundays. You know, the following, BYU's got their own network. You know, it's much better following, much bigger following than UVA to Memphis can deliver consistently. Football program is much more solid than UVA to Memphis. Memphis had its first winning season, you know, championship-wise in 40-some years. They may be building, but just two, three years ago, Memphis was crap. I mean, just worse than crap. So, if, and I'm not naive, but if, you know, I'm ranking them, Cincinnati won, BYU, you know, 1A, U of H, the head of Memphis. But, just because, just because U of H has, a, even recent history, has more of a better football following than Memphis does. You know, the Case Keenum era, when they were that close to getting to a BCS champion, that wasn't that long ago. It's more recent than Memphis doing, having that kind of success. Yeah, I think people are throwing in Memphis because of the money associated with um, FedEx FedEx, and the money that he likes to throw out there. But I don't think that's how they work at the college level. Uh, so I don't think he can really literally buy his way into a conference. Um, so I would suggest agreement with you. I think it would be Cincinnati and BYU if they go in that direction. But boy, oh boy, if Cincinnati is plucked and goes to a a high five conference, the American truly, truly becomes Conference USA 2.0 or 1.5 or 1.1 or Conference USA Junior or or, or, or something. I mean, man, oh, and boy. And then basketball, we can real quick. UConn men lost to Yale over the weekend. In basketball. With UConn women. You know. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. <laughs> Not that train hold, hold, hold that thought because I want to talk about that in our little women's basketball segments. I got a few things to add that I texted you about yeah. Sunday evening, but I want to talk about that. Let's talk about a little bit more about uh, the bowl matchups. Yeah. Bowl matchups and Tony Levine. Do you have any Do you have any preference you'd like to see the Cougars go in, in uh, head coach? No. I, I no, I don't. Uh, but I, I and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to research on that just because it's, we just got the information this morning. Uh, but the question is, are you looking for another head coach experience, either especially on the high school level? Are you going to go the same route you went before and succeed between Art and Kevin? Uh, That's the direction I think you got to go. Uh, or are you it's, going to? It showed find, you that's been successful. Because David Bailey, Beatty, who used to be an assistant coach at Rice and at A&M, is now the head football coach at Kansas. And I, it's, I congratulate him. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard road, but when you're ready and folks make that call, you, you got to take your shot. Does U of H have an attractive situation, recruiting wise? I mean, I, I, let me take that back. Facility-wise, because that's why that's why they are right now. I think facility-wise they do, recruiting-wise they do. I think the biggest thing you have with them hemorrhaging is conference. And a but commitment. I think, but I think And a commitment. But I think you still are not too far removed from two coaches that showed they could win at U of H, and they parlayed those into big-time BCS jobs. 
And so I think that's the direction you go, and that's where you are at U of H until you can find your way into a big-time conference. You have to be what I used to refer to as the uh, old Tulsa model, where particularly what they were able to do in basketball, where they became a feeder program of where young coaches that were really driven right. okay. could come in there and they understood that the platform was in a position where they could win there, and if they won there, they knew they could go land what they would perceive as a not only a solid job but a big-time money job because it in itself was a solid job. So U of H wants to be in a position, and this is me speaking from a business perspective, yep. not as a loan, that they want to be in a position where they want to be that model program where we drive coaches to the next level until we can position ourselves overall where we show our program is bona fide enough similar to what you've seen take place with the leadership of Louisville under their athletic director, that we are the next level institution that when you look at expansion, you need to come to us. And that brings me to the next local team here in town. Two coaches, a change in, in commitment, and an effort to get out of what they they were bogged in bogged down in before and it is recognizing that rice is a whole campus instead of a split you hire Todd Todd Graham you wake up the alumni base you start getting some attendance and you change the recruiting base you hire David Bailey to come in right behind that and, and, and I the think it's a brilliant question my question in you is and it's perfect for what they're able to do now but as things start to change, as we see in with this big five, as I like to refer to gotcha. them all, and as they start to change their model and that money starts to drain, is this a sustainable model for rights or where you see them uh, move into this MIT, Chicago type of model? I don't – well, let me let me start with this. Uh, first of all, the money won't, be, won't start – won't drop off. Because anytime soon, unless another Madoff type situation happens, because the money was lost in the down in the the the, the uh, primary endowment just because of that, but uh, but that money is starting to come back now, and the the children of the, of that alumni group that built the campus and, and got it to where it is right now are still investing into the campus all across, from the dorms to the athletic department to. The, no and, question. And, I think and, the, and, the, and, the Rice business model from the academician side in terms of what they're able to do as an institution is brilliant. That's why I said it's very similar to what you see at the University of Chicago that operates a Division Three program, MIT that operates a Division Three program, similar to the academic prestige, obviously, of the Ivy League schools. But my question is, is, is that I'm not sure that the endowment money that people are going to be comfortable of furthering, uh, pushing that money into athletics with no return in sight. And as this big five, I don't think people understand, as they become powerful, they are engulfing this financial money like nobody can believe. So it's going to become really ugly from that standpoint in regards to what's taking place. Toss out a name for it that I've heard tossed around. And based on the magic he's worked 
with three different quarterbacks this season at Ohio State University. How about Tom Herman, the offensive coordinator for the Ohio State Buckeyes? The Ohio State Buckeyes. Wildcat, he was at Rice for a season. Texas State, Sam Houston State, and a grad assistant for the Longhorns. So he knows the area. I like it. He knows offense, clearly, and he knows how to develop quarterbacks because that's, that's one thing this past season, the U of H, John O'Corn went MIA early and regressed immensely. So they definitely need someone who can develop quarterbacks. And I'm going to tell you right now, as we're not phrasing in the middle of the season, uh, that folks may not like what I'm fixing to say, but they needed development at the quarterback position because Greenberry needed to be on the NFL radar to change the recruiting barrier and let folks know that U of H is a place as a receiver that you can go and get to the league early. It changes your recruiting. And folks don't grasp that you are blind. Because that tells everybody right quick, I can go there and succeed. I don't have to wait four years. Somebody will come see me on a regular basis. The regression at the quarterback position hurt his opportunities and all this year. Mind you, whoever comes in, well, definitely what KG had to, had to say, we'll definitely have to rebuild the quarterback position because it is sad that U of H had to get to a, a point where all the quarterbacks fell off the map and wasn't able to be consistent. Am I wrong, sir? You are correct. And, and Greg Ward Jr. had his moments. He had more success running with the ball than he did passing the ball. You know, and... The Cougars lost three games in conference by less than seven points, I believe, and had a chance to win in the final minutes of, I think, all three of those games. The fact that they lost those games the same way, part of that is coaching. Part of that is developing your players in how to handle those game, close game situations, what to do in those situations. That's coaching, especially on the college level. So, that part of, of U of H football under Levine was a problem. And then getting trucked in the opener of the stadium by UTSA was a problem. The home losses were, were a problem. Losing to, was it Tulane? Losing homecoming. He was 1-2 and two at homecoming. Losing opener. You know, as we know, the opener the UTSA? to UTSA was, was a travesty. Losing your homecoming, being 1-2 and two in your homecoming, that's a surefire way to lose the alums when you can't win your homecoming game. You're right. So, and I'm not bashing Coach Levine, the man. I think he's a he's a fine man. He's a gentleman. He's very well respected by his players. You see it on Twitter, how they appreciate how, him being a father figure and, and what he, he did for them as head coach for the Cougars. But in terms of X's and O's, in terms of coaching up his players, in terms of winning consistently big games, he didn't do it. He didn't get the job done. So he had to go. To your point, though, Wildcat, I do not trust if it's left up to him 
solely Mac Rhodes to make a good hire as a football head coach. That's my personal opinion. He did not have complete say in hiring Kelvin Sampson. Did not have complete say in hiring Todd Whitting, baseball coach. And both those programs, I think everybody agrees, are on much more solid ground than a football program. So you take that for what it's worth. And here's a quote in a, a statement from a Mr. Rhodes. And I, I got to find this. And kudos to the comment from our colleague, Chronicles Joseph Duarte, who he put it on uh, Twitter. Quote, Levine has left a program in a, this is Mac Rhodes, Levine has left a program in a better situation than it was when he inherited it. End quote. Wow. Joseph's response is, from near BCS to 7 and 5. Hmm. That's point blank. When, Ke- when Kevin Sumlin was here, they were that close to going to a BCS Bowl. This past season, they're 7 and 5. How in the hell do you consider that being in a better situation than when it was inherited? Doc, he stepped into your territory to say, was it education-wise or what? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like KG, because football-wise, I agree. Obviously. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's talk, let's talk college bowls because Rice is going to a while. You going walk out? You going to make that trip? No, sir. I'm not, I mean, I could. But no, I'm not making that trip to Hawaii. That uh, that won't be on the agenda this time around. But since we we've, we've, we've gone there, let me let me give out what you know what's what's going on. Uh, December 24, Rice is headed to the Hawaii Bowl. Their opponent will be Fresno State. That game is scheduled for uh, December 24, 8 o'clock p.m. on ESPN. Then next up in the local area, we've got. Texas A&M versus West Virginia in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, Memphis, Tennessee, December 29th, 2 p.m. ESPN. Then that same night, the Advocare V100 Texas Bowl has Arkansas versus Texas. Very nice crowd that night. Folks, you better find some tickets. They had hit against each other, knocked heads against each other for a while. Doc, I think your your kinfolk was was still playing for for Texas when uh. Well, they snuck in and played a non-conference a couple of years yeah, ago. But I mean, the last time they, they, the last they, time they, they played, yeah, and they play here in Houston at NRG Stadium, December twenty ninth, nine o'clock p.m. ESPN. Now, this is how they set up the next two bowls with the next two teams on the roster. Number five, number six. TCU plays number nine Ole Miss in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. December 31st, Atlanta, Georgia in the Georgia Dome, 12.30 p.m. ESPN. It kind of changed. I liked it when it was that New Year's Eve midnight. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was the one you could stay up and then nobody wasn't going to say, yeah, you can sit and watch TV a little bit late tonight. We're going to all sit around and watch. Then you got the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Number eight, Michigan State. Defense against number five, Baylor. Offense, Arlington Stadium, AT&T. January 1st, 12.30 p.m. ESPN. I remember when the Cotton Bowl was on Channel 11 and it was hot. (laughs) 
And it was like a 10 o'clock game that morning. Yeah, ten, ten. I don't care. Then it was I don't Fox care. for the longest. Yeah, but I, I remember it being a CBS 10 o'clock in the morning. It was you know Rose Bowl parade still going on. They out playing football. Yeah. You know, I'm going back and forth. And, and folks, that's when you had to get up and... And it, turn it, turn it, turn it, <laughs> had a tuna, and you yeah. had to be careful because you'd be scripted and, and you had to get plied. <laughs> and we didn't have need to know plied, but we had a kid in the room. Hey, turn that <laughs> KG, I see you laughing. Got tight. Turn that channel. Turn that channel. Go back and forth. They're on a commercial right now. Stand right there. Just wait. When that commercial <laughs> with you, turn it back. I'm laughing, but folks, let me tell you, we are all three of us stood in front of the TV. Yes, <laughs> At some point, yes, I must admit. But uh, the one good life thing is not necessarily about it is the four local teams. You know, here that that we can all drive to, they all headed to a bowl game. We're all happy. But uh, now that we are at that point, Doc, in the semifinal, do you see one and two playing against each other? Uh, with uh, Alabama, Oregon, yeah, it's got to be upset somewhere in there. Why? I just see that happen. I think I think tournament you're gonna get upset somewhere. I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna go upset. I'm gonna go Florida State. Folks, the reason I'm laughing is because we've been talking about this school all night long, and I still I forgot them. I forgot them. KG's Cougars playing Pittsburgh <laughs> and Lockheed Martin. All forces bowl, Fort Worth, Texas, Amon G. Carter Stadium, January 2nd, 12 o'clock, ESPN. And yes, that's going to be the one I'm going to make just because, just because. Good. I'm, I'm glad you're gone because I'll probably be in the office working, listen to it on my, on my, or maybe watching ESPN 3 on my phone, something like that. Who knows? But, but that's, yeah. Seven and five Houston against six and six Pittsburgh. Yeah, and it'd probably be about two thousand folks in that in the stadium watching that game in person. But uh Oregon, Florida State, maybe the Knowles defensive line will be healthy by then. They got three weeks to get ready. I just don't see them able to stop Oregon. Hell the game will be a shootout. I mean that, that game, Oregon, Florida State could probably be forty five, forty two final score. Oregon's defense has gotten better as they as Arizona learned. <laughs> Friday night in the Pac-12 championship game, but um, I'm going to go with Oregon. I've, I've been a Nose fan for years, but I think the winning streak ends January 1st in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl, Alabama, o- Ohio State. At some point, you got to believe that third-string quarterback for Ohio State is, is going to finally bite him in the butt. Where, so yeah. I'll take Alabama in that. So I'm going with the chalk in those two and have Alabama go versus Oregon. In the uh, championship game, that A&M West Virginia game in Memphis in Liberty Bowl. Yeah. Oh, that's ugly. That ooh, man. Uh, you mighty has regret. Aggies will be there. Good thing, cause that'd be about it. Aggies will be there. Oh, that ooh, man. Okay, no comment on that. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Ew. Let's see. Let me count them up here. Let's see. We got 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, 19, 22, 25, 28, 31, 34, 37. Is that right? 38 bowl games? Yes. 38 bowl games. If you can't bowl get in the bowl game, you're doing something wrong. 6 and 6. 6 they and 5. They even have a bowl game in Bahamas. 
Man, oh man. That's mm. way to way to keep kids in the class. And Doc, that game is the Popeyes Bahamas Bowl. It features Central Michigan versus Western Kentucky. Nassau Bahamas, Thomas A. Robinson National Stadium. Popeyes and Bahamas. December 24, 12 o'clock p.m. And once again, it's on the Four Letters ESPN. You talking about a monopoly? I think they've coined that. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the worst part, well, yeah, that's right. Every, each one of these bowls has a legitimate sponsor. Now, the Cotton Bowl just got their sponsor this year because folks were saying, you know, it's not worth it to us anymore. And they joined the big. Don't know. I don't know no, what happened. No, they part, got part of the big circle, the playoffs, so it makes it well, yeah. uh, easier why the, they got a sponsor. But the other thing, too, now, with these sponsors, now it's going to come up what happens in the goodie bag room. That's the next big thing, the big talking all, you know, what's available. Out of all these bowls, there is one not on the uh, mothership, ESPN, or Disney, Disney, ABC. The Sun Bowl is on CBS. What the hell is the Sun Bowl people? What are they thinking to not be to stand alone like this? Every other bowl is on. They can't get the money. CBS is still paying them the two, three million dollars, while ESPN won't match it. And that's Arizona State versus Duke on December twenty seventh, one p.m. Central. Let's see, going against the same time. Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech, six and six. Virginia Tech made a bowl. Hey, so Virginia Peak, they beat, they beat, beat Ohio, Ohio State. State. So Penn State, six and six. Miami, six and six. I mean, the fact you got teams at five hundred in bowl games, some of these teams will end up with losing records after if they lose a bowl game. Hey, they're gonna have wow. a losing record, but the coach gonna get a bonus because he made the bowl game. Exactly. Thank you, sir. Another another outstanding point there. Check this moment real quick to hear from our sponsor, THG Agency. THG Agency is the Heritage Group. It is a fully integrated consulting company focused on sports business, educational management, and leadership services. For more information, give us a call at 281-330-1341 or email us at info at thg-agency.com. You can also visit the website at thg-agency.com. Gentlemen, thank you, THG Agency. Let's talk about before we get in, before we I'm get to about the all state and southern, that's yeah. All yeah. But before we do that, to kind of connect the bowl games, let me put this on the table. I've heard that it looks like they're going to add another bowl game to the gluttony of ESPN bowl games. It will be a SCS bowl game. It will be either Legacy Bowls or Legacy Classic. Somehow it looks like it's supposed to be a done deal. It should be announced in about a month. MEAC Championship will play the SWAC Championship. So essentially, they will actually have. Their HBCU national championship, definitely between FCS major division programs, the only team that will be left out that plays at the FCS level will be Tennessee State, that is known as an independent. It plays as a football conference member, part of the Ohio Valley Conference, OVC. So it'll be interesting to see if that holds true. Has a date been announced for that? They said probably late December, early 
January. It'll be in that part of the mix. It'll more likely be in Atlanta. It'll split the difference between where the conference MEAC basically on the Atlantic Coast Conference. Might have to Coast. go to that, fellas. Just, just, swag. just cause. Yeah, it'll be a nice I'm a, one. Yeah, I'm just, nice just saying that, just cause. <laughs> if it happens, I'll definitely know. You know that I'll have it on my to list. Because you mentioned that possibility few in previous podcasts yes, about that. But so, it look, so I just like, got uh update that it looks like the deal should be signed in the next couple of weeks and should be announced uh, in no later than a month. That's a little divergent from what the MEAC was doing. They were going to the playoffs, but they've lost like 19 straight games the last 10, 12 years. So it looks like uh, ESPN has put enough money on the table, and they've been frustrated enough that they're probably going to go in that direction. It looks like each school that plays in the game will get like a million dollars, which is significant, as you know, as an HBC program. And that doesn't count what's going to go back to the conference. So it'll be interesting to see if those are actually the financials that are out there and if they find a way to get it done. But I wanted to make sure our listeners uh, heard the news here first. Uh, that's a little tidbit. Now, let's get to the other information in terms of what just took place this past weekend with the SWAT championship game. They had an announced crowd of like 38,900, which is pretty much the same what they have. They were excited about that number. Uh, the Braves showed up. Showed out. People thought it may be a little less. I said around 42, 47. Right. They did have a notification that uh, they had a highway uh, wreck on 10 where about seven buses from Southern literally had to turn around because they just wouldn't make the game time. Wow. And turn to stop. So I would have got a little closer to my number in terms of what took place if that was the case. But 38,000, uh, they're excited about. That's going to be larger than many of the bowls uh, that we talked about. Be more at U of H, more, what is it, U of H in Pittsburgh, be more than that. Exactly. So Maybe 10 times as much. So it's pretty significant, to say the least. They were happy about it. But the game uh, was competitive. It was dominated, though, by the Braves, but because of some turnovers. And who was their quarterback? John Gibbs, Jr., right what here, school? Houston native from Booker T., Washington, right here in Houston. Doc, when the Southern folks came to the game Saturday night, I asked it. They all walked in with the head down. I knew then what I said. I got to get a comment from somebody. I got to get find out what happened. So I asked the questions. You know, they were on the elevator and all. I said, "Well, what happened?" I said, "The guy said you looking at me kind of hard." I said, "Either you got good news or you got bad news." First thing his mouth was, "We didn't show up in the fourth quarter." So what happened? They couldn't explain it. They just said they, they said they, they said two touchdowns and, and, and the Southern squad didn't show up in the fourth quarter. What happened? Basically, they couldn't convert uh, in the red zone, which they've done all year long. They got a block punt. They got one early in the game. They literally ran in for a touchdown. They essentially put them down a touchdown before half. They tied it up in the second half when they went down the field to touch it, t- tie the game. It was a new game there. And then uh, – the Braves scored a touchdown to pull it away. Driving down the field, they got into the red zone, uh, got stopped, went fourth down, couldn't convert, so turned the ball over. They did stop the Braves. Deep best offense for Southern was actually a special team. They got another block punt. Um, looked like they were going to re- take it in. Ball bounced kind of funny, so they recovered it, obviously. Set themselves up inside the 20. Turned the ball over on downs. 
The Braves went out and scored, got to a 14-point lead, pretty much was safe. But Southern did threaten again to see if they could maybe get to the point where they could kick an onside kick if they could throw in a, put in a score, I should say. Uh, goal line stance, literally. Linebacker. Hit Tillery, the all-world Tillery, the running back there on the goal line. I mean, beautiful play. Beautiful play by the linebacker, uh, Deion Robinson. And he recovered the ball in the end zone, so the ball went out to the 24 touchback, and essentially that was the game. And so, as he talked about, they didn't make the plays in the fourth quarter like they did against Grambling in the Bayou Classic that sealed the deal. It was just the opposite. Two young teams, so they're going to be in the mix next year. So it'll be interesting to watch. Credit to Jay Hobson. Uh, He is the first European-American coach in the SWAC. He gets a championship. Uh, first championship for the Braves since 1994. So it was a big deal. Um, a lot of respect for Hobson because when we were at the conference, he talked about some of the historical moments about Alcorn State. So a lot of credit to him that he has totally bought in. He's from Mississippi. He understands the history of Alcorn State. He's from that area. And he has totally bought into it. So a lot of credit there. From that, but outside of that, John Gibbs played a great game. Two hundred forty-five yards, three touchdowns, uh, all around player. So he got it done. With that, let me give you the final major division and mid-major division top ten poll. We'll get into some All-American status in a week, and then we'll get into basketball full-time in terms of what's going on quickly. Uh, let me give you the top ten. Usually I give you the top five, but since this is the final poll, we'll go ahead and give you the top ten. At ten, Fayetteville State Broncos, five and five, five and two of the CIAA. Number nine, Fort Valley State Wildcats, six and four and four and three. They end up the season at number nine of the SIC. Staying in the SIC, when we go to eight, we had the Morehouse Maroon Tigers, six and four, four and three. Bringing, staying at that eight spot. At number seven, you have Miles Golden Bears, also of the SIC, six and four, five and two. At number seven, they get it done to stay right there. At number six, we go into the CIAA with Virginia Union Panthers landing at the sixth spot at 7-3 and 5-2 and in the conference race. Top five programs, you have Albany State Golden Rams, 7-3, 7-0. In regards to uh, the top five programs, at number four, you have the Langston Lions, number four there. They're out of the Central State Football League. At number three, you have Tuskegee Golden Tigers. One first place vote, number three. At number two, you have the Winston State Rams. They had number two there. At number one, you have the Virginia State Trojans. They get it done in terms of that big time program. Virginia State at 10 and 3 of the South Dude. They rest at the mid major division play. Uh, they get it done holding the number one spot for the HBCU 2014 football campaign uh, in regards to. The HBCU mid-major division. Let me give you some major division work in regards to what takes back here in terms of the final report. And number ten, Prairie and M Panthers find a way to get in, even though they were just five and five, five and four. Didn't help Coach Northern as they released him. Just and, outside and who picked him up? Huh? Who picked him up? Texas Southern has picked him up. A defensive coordinator that came out Friday. He was the first to tell me. Um, but it is official now. And they brought over the offensive coordinator as well from Prairie View. 
Uh, so it'll be interesting. They say it might be even some more coaches coming over here as well. No surprise. In terms of... Uh, we discussed it before, you know, so that's not a surprise. Right. So that will become a very interesting matchup. Asbury has one year left on his contract, so those coaches are going to be really humping it. A lot of people say that Asbury has to get seven wins, uh, which may be pretty tough with the schedule he has here, particularly still being on the probation there, but that's the word out there. I'm of the belief that he needs to get a winning record, but we'll see what takes place there. At number nine, you have Albany State Hornets. I'm excuse me, Alabama State Hornets at seven and five, five and four in terms of the SWAC. They're looking for a coach too. So Rummings that uh, be interested to see what direction they go as they try to move the program. At number eight, North Carolina Central Eagles, seven and five, six and two, first year coach there. Gets it done in terms of getting a share, a five way share of the first place in terms of the MEAC, unheard of. Hitting with number seven, Morgan State Bears, 76-6-2. They share the MEAC crown this year. They got the automatic bid to the playoffs. They got beat by Richmond Fighters. At number six, Grammar State Tigers resurrected the program. Great season when you think about the run they have. Obviously ended disappointing, but where they were last year, they resurrected their program. Fobbs did a great job, 75-72. Uh, coming all the way down to the Bayou Classic and a chance to play for a swag championship. Cut, quite get it done, literally, on a goal line stand. Top five programs, Bethune-Cookman Wildcats, 9-3, and 6-2. Uh, they remain at the five spot out of the MEAC. At number four, Southern Jaguars fall all the way down from number one with that tough loss to the Braves, 9-4, Number three, North Carolina A&T Aggies, 9-3, 6-2 at the two spot. South Carolina State Bulldogs, also of the MEAC, 8-4, 6-2. Uh, many people think the Aggies probably had the best team this year, but they had that crucial loss to the South Carolina State Bulldogs and to the Atlanta Football Classic, and then they lose their last weekend. They really created that five-way team, and they lost to their rival, North, Car- North Carolina Central Eagles, and that's why they really can't jump any higher than number three. Number one, Alcorn State Braves get it done, 10-3, 7-2, Five first-place votes. They move from number four to number one, and they end the season with Dr. Seville's HBCU National Championship in year 2014. Let me give you some gridiron players of the week. Offensively, uh, Alcorn State quarterback John Gibbs Jr. passed for 245 yards, going 20 of 30, had uh, one interception, but had three big-time touchdowns, rushing from a, for 132 yards on just 16 carries and had a five-yard reception that actually set up a touchdown. So he came home and really showed out. Defensive, as I talked about, Alcorn State defensive end, Deion Robinson, he got it, had six total tackles, six, three solo, none bigger than a jarring goal line hit that forced a fumble by Southern's running back, Lenore Tillery at the goal line that he also recovered in the end zone for a touchback to essentially seal the victory for the Braves. Special team, Southern punter, Returner Willie Quinn had 161 all-purpose total yards, including an 86-yard punt return for a touchdown, as he did all he could to keep the Jaguars in the SWAC championship game against the Braves, but couldn't do quite enough there. Coach goes to Alcorn State. Jay Hobson led his Braves 10-3, 7-2 in the first SWAC championship game appearance since the formation of the SWAC championship game model in 1999 and a 38-24 win over the Southern Jaguars, who are now 9-4, as we said. 8-1 and one in the conference race, landing him the Eddie Robinson SWAC Football Championship Trophy. The team goes, obviously, to Alcorn State this week in week number 15 
10 and 3, 72. The Braves defeated 38 24 the Southern Jaguars to win their first SWAC championship since 1994 and the first outright SWAC championship since 1992. So accolades go to the Alcorn State Braves getting it done in terms of that. Uh, John Gibbs Jr., that we talked so much about, was also the MVP on the offensive side, leading his team to that championship. And the scary thing for those in the SWAC is the fact that he's just a junior, so he'll be back to terrorize the league. And relatively speaking, that is also a pretty young team. Um, so it'll be interesting going forward as the SWAC looks like it's starting to tilt up in the upward direction. So things should be interesting next year. When you send, when I send out the poll, if you want it directly, you can go to kcaville at thg-agency.com. Send me an email. Say it again. Say it again. kcaville at thg-agency.com. And I'll give you a little history of the Dr. Cavill major division and mid-major division where I list the champions and since 2002 when I started a poll to let you see where the mix are. So it's a good, some good information here uh, in terms of what takes in place there. So I hope uh, you're excited about that. 